Welcome to the Wanna Talk Missions podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Tverdick, Director of Cup of Cold Water Ministries. We help people go and stay where God has called them to serve. This is the podcast of their stories. Our intent is to tell the good news of what God's doing around the world through His people in order to make His name known. Learn more about how you can engage in global missions at ccwm.org. And now, here's our show. All right, we're kicking off season five of Wanna Talk Missions. It only took five seasons for me to get my very favorite missionary in here, and I am thrilled to have him speak with all of us today. Pastor Troy is deeply committed to understanding and teaching biblical truth. He's a counselor, a former director of Flourishing Future, a humanitarian aid project located in the heart of Mongolia's capital city, Ulaanbaatar, where he served as a missionary for eight years. There, he built and oversaw two community centers in the Gare District of Mongolia. And in 2022, Troy celebrated the opening of the first community center he is directing in the United States. Well, I'm glad to finally be here. Um, It was interesting today. I was being told that uh, someone finally recognized the connection between me and Cup of Cold Water because of you, because they had your Advent book, and they were uh, shocked. Uh, to realize that Pastor Troy is married to the famous <laughs> Sherry Tverdick, author and director of Cup of Cold Water Ministries. And so it's exciting to be here, uh, even if it is just as the husband of the famous Sherry Tverdick. <laughs> yeah, so I'm interviewing my husband today, and he is my favorite missionary. And I, I really do mean that. I learned so much from you, Troy. And And the reason for this interview isn't just that you're my favorite missionary. We're coming off of the Christmas season where we we did read the Advent One Baby for the World. And at the end of that Advent, I was getting so many questions and none of them were about me and none of them were really about my book. Everyone wanted to know about you. (laughs) So the silent partner in the book, we never really talk about him. We haven't heard from him. And so I am thrilled to have a list of those questions for you and to have you here to hopefully answer them. Are you ready for this? I am. Okay, I'm ready too. So let's go back to where this all started. Because when I met you, you claimed to be an atheist. Yeah, I I did claim to be an atheist. Uh, looking back now at the, the definition, um, having a clearer understanding, it was more that I didn't necessarily believe that the God that was being promoted uh, was correct. So it's a little bit harder to say I was a true atheist, uh, but I definitely didn't accept Christianity's sell on on a a heavenly father who loved me, Uh, you know, probably due to my own personal childhood experiences. Uh, Father wasn't necessarily the best sell for me. How did you go from atheist to missionary, poverty expert, pastor? I mean, I would have thought the question would have been, how did you end up surrendering your life to Christ first? Uh, and that really was more uh, with the birth of, of, of our son, uh, just the miracle involved in that. And when I, when I first held him and, and was, was looking at him and, you know, he was kind of, he was premature. He was a little ugly, kind of slimy. And when I'm looking at him, I'm thinking to myself that 
know, there was nothing he could do to make me love him more and nothing that he could do to make me love him less. And, and at that moment, I, I kind of had the, the realization from God that that's how he's been thinking about me the whole time. And, and it was just such an overwhelming feeling of knowing that God loved me no matter what, uh, that it definitely made me begin to pursue that love and, and forget um, the different hypocrisies and different things I had seen from Christians and just focus on him. What would you say to someone who they might be listening right now and they love somebody who's an atheist and they're like, we're trying, we're praying, we're leaving little hints of God around the house. What would you tell them? Well, I think at the same time that they're waiting for that person to surrender their life to Jesus, they have to surrender that person to Jesus and understand that the Holy Spirit's role in the world right now is is basically a, a great networker. He is constantly moving people and and circumstances to continually be giving people an opportunity uh, to accept or reject Jesus. And so since the Holy Spirit isn't going to sleep, they can, and they can just rest and know that God will do his part to keep presenting the truth to that atheist. I remember when you decided to surrender your life to Christ, you were all in. So you went from like, there is no God, I don't believe in God, to God is everything, the most important thing. And I realized from you that perhaps I wasn't, I didn't know God in the same way that you knew God. I had always kind of grown up believing and knowing and trusting in Jesus. I never had that long episode of not. So watching you kind of come into the light, it drove me a little crazy. You remember that? (laughs) <laughs> do you remember, I do remember do you remember what I was telling you to do all the time? Yes, I remember you would tell me to come down off of the mountain. Uh-huh. Yes, I, re- I remember that very well. Yeah, because I wanted you to be a normal Christian, like a, a nominal Christian. Actually, now I know that term. I wanted you just to just chill and you didn't have to be like all crazy and all in. And I remember you telling me, I can't be that kind of Christian. Like I, I just can't be that kind of Christian. I know the forgiveness and the truth of God, and I have to be all in. And so really from the time you you became a Christian up until the point that we went to Mongolia and beyond, you were living your life that way, and you were constantly growing. Not perfected, right? But constantly being perfected. And I could see the evidence of that right away. And really, it was your decision to follow Christ that called me to pursue a deeper understanding of Jesus. And now I'm a crazy Christian. You've decided to give your life, like surrender your life to Christ. Years go by. How many years was it before you were called to Mongolia, would you say? I think it's 15. What was your life like at the time that God called us to Mongolia? I think this is maybe something that people were really questioning when they listened to the reading of the Advent, there was the chapter in there where I talk about you being awake um, and and really realizing like this is the plan that God has for my life right now. But at the time, right before that happened, what was it like for you? So yeah, where I was was I I had been continually pursuing God. I I would say that. W- 
I definitely was always growing from the very moment that I surrendered my life to Christ. But I had reached a point where I wasn't sure what was missing, but I knew that something was missing. And so I had really tried to determine what God's will was for my life. And it's not something that you can open the Bible and find your name and a, and a short description of what you're supposed to do uh, with your life. And so I had really just kind of reached the conclusion that God's will for my life was that I obey whatever he asks me to do. And so I had really just committed to him, God, I'll, I will do whatever you ask me to do, but I don't know what specifically you want me to do right now. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And what I was doing was, you know, I was very active in the church, active in the community, uh, had my own business, um, saved some energy back for the, you know, when I got home to be able to play with the kids and spend time with, with my lovely wife. And, you know, I, I was a, a model on the outside Christian, but I just knew that something was missing on the inside. And I couldn't put my finger on what it was, but I had that complete, yeah, I will do whatever you say, God, regardless of what it is, because I need to know. I, I needed to know so badly that I was in his will and I wasn't just a, you know, a number or a, a cookie cutter Christian, you know, that just does the same thing over and over again. And so that my heart really desired to know that. And that was several months before he, he did finally talk to me about what he wanted me to do in Mongolia. 15 years go by, you're growing in your faith, and God calls you to Mongolia. Can you kind of explain like your version of how that happened? I, I was in a habit of getting up every morning at four, uh, going out into my garage, and I would spend some time out there with God. Uh, I'd read the Bible and, and I would pray and, and listen. And when I was done doing that, then I would, you know, kind of begin to prepare uh, for my physical day and making sure that everything was going to be where it needed to be so I could get my work done for that day. And, and it was in that moment, uh, right after I had kind of, I don't know, almost ended the date with God and was going to move into the, the physical side of, of life that God spoke to me and he said, sell your house and get ready to move to Mongolia. And so that, that's, that was the call. It was, it was a, a clear uh, voice without being audible that, you know, I had learned long ago how to recognize God's voice and I knew that was God. My immediate response was to begin to question the logic of that in that if I was going to go to Mongolia, why would I sell my house? You know, there there was some questions like that, but at the same time, there was a, an excitement of knowing that I was finally in God's will, uh, that I had a specific call, a specific plan, and not just the general overarching um, calling of all Christians, but this was something more specific, and I I couldn't wait uh, to be able to do that. But first you had to tell me. <laughs> and I I wasn't a very adventurous person at the time. I had a lot of fear 
and I didn't like to do new things. So selling our house and moving to Mongolia, that must have scared me a lot thinking about telling me that this is what God might be calling our family to do. So one of the questions people had was, what would you have done if I had said, no way? (laughs) That was a very minor issue for me because first I had to uh, make sure that I was going to commit to this. And so I kind of went all day where over and over again in my head, I kept hearing that command sell your house and get ready to move to Mongolia. And you were out of town. And so I, you know, went through my work day, did all of those things. And when I laid my head down to sleep uh, that night, uh, I was still getting that word, sell your house and get ready to move to Mongolia. And so it was actually wasn't until Tuesday morning uh, that I said, Absolutely, I'll do that. Um, Because when I woke up Tuesday morning, it was there. Saw your house, get ready to move to Mongolia. So I said, okay, I will. But God, you have to tell Sherry. Because yes, I knew that you were the type of person that needed a a 10-year plan. And you needed the security. And uh, just the, the knowledge of what was going to happen next And I knew with something like this that neither of us had a category for it. So there was no way that I would be able to explain to you what was going to happen next. Uh, There was no way I was going to be able to assure you that everything was going to be okay. And so I was relying very heavily on God to tell you that this is the plan. And then we'd be on the same page. You said to me, like, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to really like rock your world and don't, don't worry about it. Pray about it. You know, we'll, we'll, won't do anything till God tells us the next steps. So you were kind of prepared for it to take me a little bit longer than it did to say like, okay, let's do it. I'll go. (laughs) But God had been preparing me and um, getting me ready for that really crazy, difficult conversation. And I know there were so many things to prepare from that conversation forward about a year and a half when we ended up on the mission field, but I know what I was going through, but what about you? Like, were you, were you ever afraid? Were you ever like, oh my goodness, I'm a man. I'm taking my four kids and my wife to this place. I've never really been. I don't know much about like, tell me, walk me through the process of how you were feeling. Interestingly enough, no, I was not afraid at all. And I think that the the primary reason for that was just because I was so focused on all of the logistics involved in in selling basically everything that we owned and then moving uh, you and four kids onto the other side of the world that I didn't really have time to think about all the things that could go wrong or anything like that. I was just focused on accomplishing the next thing that I knew that God wanted us to do. And so it really wasn't until we had been in Mongolia for, you know, maybe six months that I began to get concerned about, did I make a mistake or, you know, what did I do? And and the reason for that 
that concern was because I had grown accustomed to hearing from God on a regular basis. We, you know, like I said, I had you know what I call date times with God, where specific blocks of my day were set aside specifically to sit down, talk to, listen to, read God's word, and I got kind of used to hearing from God. And that first year in Mongolia, I did not hear one peep out of God. And that was scary. So without hearing from God for a year, I was really beginning to question, like, did I make a mistake? What have I done? I know I knew that, you know, we could adjust. I could, we could go back to America. I could probably pick up for pretty much where we left off, but but I knew that God had called me to Mongolia, and I, but I didn't hear Him saying that it was okay to leave. So I was kind of in a in a desperate spot, and I remember uh, I went on a silent retreat. Uh, it was just uh, a pen, a notebook, uh, and a Bible, and and God, and I was reading one day. And I want to say it was in First Samuel, and I saw a verse that I had never noticed before that said, Samuel was talking to Saul, and he said, I'm paraphrasing, God is with you, or I, I gave you a brain, use it. And now, that's not what it says, specifically, if you go back and look at it, but that's how uh, I received it was God was speaking to me through that verse saying, look, instead of sitting around doing nothing, waiting for me to tell you the next thing, understand that I have spent the last you know 30 some odd years equipping you, uh, educating you, showing you different things that now you put those things into practice, use your brain and I'll be with you. And it absolutely set me free to just go and do the things that I knew I was supposed to do without being afraid that I was doing something wrong because I knew that he would guide me. He would correct me. He, he wouldn't, you know, beat me into the you know right path, but he would just guide me on the right path if I kept walking forward. And so that's when I was finally free to, to begin to, to make decisions about what we were going to do as, as as a ministry in Mongolia uh, to continue to have an influence on the people that were in Mongolia. And so it really freed me up and, and it just, it all came back after a year of silence. And it was just so liberating to know that it was no longer like I was a five-year-old. I was, I had moved up to like 10 year old you know, where I was allowed to make some decisions on my own and he would continue to guide me, but he was going to let me make some different decisions. And that was just very nice. Yes. I remember a definite shift in your ministry focus. Like at that time, it was less about, I got to make sure I do everything right and I don't make any mistakes and more just, okay, we're going to go. Here's what I think we should do. And God will stop me and stop us if, if he wishes and wow, a lot of stuff happened after that. Looking back, what occurred the following seven years was just so beautiful. And I can't even believe we got to be a part of it. So many times I sit back and I go, God, I can't believe you let us do that. <laughs> because we had no idea what we were doing. And yet God called us to be missionaries. So 
what what is a missionary? How would you describe a missionary? So for me, simply a missionary is someone who is sent out specifically to a certain people group uh, to bring the truth of God's love to them. And so that's my simple definition of a missionary. Would you say that everyone's a missionary? Every Christian is a missionary? No, I don't believe that every person is a missionary by that definition. I do believe that we all have a mission. I think we have uh, the greatest commandment, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And then Jesus does command that we, as we go through life, we make disciples and teach them everything that we know about God. And so that's general to every Christian. There's no exceptions. But then there's specifically people who are called to take this news to previously unreached groups. What's something that you wish you would have known before you went, and it might have changed your decision to go? I'm actually kind of glad that I didn't know what I was doing so I could completely rely on God. But I will tell you one thing I'm glad I didn't know is that the friends and family that I was going to lose by following God, I'm I'm glad I didn't know that ahead of time because that would have been very stressful. Would you say that following God to Mongolia led to like a lonelier life? I would absolutely say that it it led to a lonelier life uh, simply because, like I said, there were certain friends and family that were going to distance themselves um, from me because they had no category for for Christianity and 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 that kind of what they would consider radical Christianity. And also, when you become the a director, it it that in and of itself can be lonely because your relationships with those that you're directing can't be as close and personal as just a regular friendship. And so there is a certain degree of loneliness in that as well. So you said other people would say that it was a radical Christian lifestyle. <laughs> like, Do you think that you lived a radical Christian lifestyle? Yes. And I would base that just off of my observations of other Christians, uh, especially growing up before I became a Christian. Their way of living for Christ was not very appealing to me because it just seemed to be in addition to uh, their regular lives of them doing what they wanted to do and occasionally recognizing that God existed. And I didn't see it that way when I um, found God, and I didn't experience it that way. Uh, when I read the read God's word and saw what he actually says versus some of the things that I had been hearing in church most of my life. And it was just, yeah, I think that he definitely called me to be different. And I'm okay with that. I think this is why you're my favorite missionary, because you're you're okay with being a little weird, like not, not necessarily expecting it of everybody else. Is there space for people that want to surrender their lives for the Lord and then just live their lives, just stay home and, you know, do their daily life? Is that a thing? It, it is actually <laughs> a thing. Uh, Paul, 
Paul very much talks about how every every Christian uh, who makes up the church, he uses the analogy of, of the human body, and so much of the human human body is almost taken for granted in that it doesn't stand out or or seem to be doing anything special. But without uh, certain parts of the body, let's say even just the skin, uh, the body's not going to work. And so it, people who are called to do certain things and stand out from the rest uh, tend to get all of the attention. And that's not necessarily the the way that it should be done is everybody serves a, a purpose. Uh, the Holy Spirit has put everybody in the in exactly where He wants them to be, and it doesn't make one Christian better or worse than another, uh, as long as they're doing what it is that God has called them to do. If they are doing what they've been called to do, then we're all on the same playing field. It's if we're refusing to do the things that we know we're supposed to be doing that then we become dead skin and dead skin, you know, it flakes off and, and it serves no purpose. And so as long as we are specifically looking through God's word, listening to his voice and doing the things that he's asked us to do each and every day, we all are on the same team and there's so much else that's going on that we just have to trust his plan, his plan for each of our lives individually, and just do the things that he's calling us to do. I like that. Wouldn't you say that we kind of got that wrong at first when we were on the mission field? You look around and there's the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. Why? What's wrong with the church? Why aren't more people here? We need help. And we can forget that we're actually doing this on God's timeline. If God's not calling the people, it's because he has a different timeline. He said, you know, to pray for more, more workers, but it was because he also knew what was about to transpire and he was about to change the way they'd been doing things for a very, very long time. And it was going to require more workers because he was about to send them into the world, the entire world to spread the good news about who God is and how much he loves them. And so they were going to need more workers, but not everyone was going to be called uh, to go into a different country or a different people group. Even at that time, some people stayed back in Jerusalem. So it's, it's always do what God says when he says it, and then you're part of the body. You have experience serving God in various capacities. You've served him as a missionary. You've served him as a director of a humanitarian aid organization. You've serving him now as a pastor. But for a long time in many leadership roles, can you just describe to us how you take care of your spiritual health? Right. So in, in leadership roles, it's vitally important, uh, especially as, as a teacher, to make sure that your actions and your words are lining up. The Bible says that a, a teacher is going to be held to a higher standard. And so it's very important that my actions and my words line up. Nobody wants to be taught, you know, an accounting class by someone who can barely balance their checkbook. Like your actions and your words have to line up. And so in order to make sure that I'm doing that, 
not only do I have to consume God's word and digest it and process it out, I need to also let it work itself out in my own life and, and live it so that I can present it to others and say, not only is this a truth, but this truth works. And so by maintaining spiritual disciplines or intentional habits of, of getting up every day, read my Bible, pray, talk to God, spend time alone with God, set aside segments of time throughout my day to pause and, and reflect on the previous hour, let's say, and, and how things went and, and then you know, recognize God's still on his throne and he's going to get me through the next hour. And then throughout my week, taking, you know, time and, and setting it aside uh, specifically to be alone with God and listen to God and just spend time with him. And throughout a month or a year or whatever, it's, it's this constant recognition that, yes, he does let us lead our lives, but he is Lord. He's He is the one that we listen to. We, we don't uh, take advice from the world. We we were always focused on him and in his lordship, and he's first, and and we're the slave, and he's the master. And if he says it, we do it. We don't ask questions, and, and so it does take a lot of effort to maintain those disciplines. And like the Bible says, we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there is a bit of fear and trembling in me as a teacher in that I'm going to be held to a higher standard. So I have to get this right because I don't ever want to be the one that caused someone else to not accept Jesus because of something that they heard me say or saw me do that didn't line up with what I'm trying to preach. I think you were just preaching right there. <laughs> <laughs> you just had your sermon for the week. I agree by the way. And it's something that I've admired about you, the the rhythms that you've set up in your life and throughout the day to take that time to stop and refocus your heart toward God, recenter yourself. And I've seen you do it. So you're really good at it. So it's something that I think would be very valuable to our listeners to just start making that daily practice and did it take you time to kind of hone that in? I mean, of course, we have to keep looking at our, our lives, our, our daily schedule, and remove the things that are unnecessary, that have no eternal consequence, and replace them with uh, the spiritual disciplines uh, that actually do have eternal consequence. And so it, it does take time because we don't naturally tend to give everything up all at once. Uh, it, it's more of a, a work in progress. And I, I still have a tendency sometimes to be selfish or want to do what I want to do and ignore, you know, the, the people or the needs around me. Um, so it, it's a constant work. It, it never ends. But I think as long as we're growing, uh, we're healthy. And so we need to just keep moving towards perfecting ourselves uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. What surprised you about being a missionary? I, I think what surprised me about being a missionary was that everybody who didn't know us before we became missionaries 
as soon as they heard we were missionaries, assumed that we knew what we were doing. Uh, they they looked at us all like experts. They 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 viewed our opinions and our thoughts about things um, with like value, and and it was it was very humbling. And that's what surprised me the most was just having that word associated with your name. People just automatically began to look up to you for answers. And it was, it was humbling. It's a little bit like Joseph when Pharaoh asked him, I, I heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph's response was, I can't, but God can. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the sim- a similar thing, being in missions. Troy Tverdick, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun talking to you today. Absolutely. Do you want to know why you're my very favorite missionary? Why? <laughs> Not just because I love you, but because you're real. And you remind me that God uses real people to do extraordinary things. And it's inspiring. Well, thank you. You're too. <laughs> You're very real. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Wanna Talk Missions. Make sure to check out all that God's doing with our missionaries at Cup of Cold Water Ministries by visiting ccwm.org. And that's our show.